Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. On the podcast with me today, I have Luis Quintana. He has a master's in universal accessibility and design for all. In 2011, he founded Todo Accessible, which strives to eliminate the architectural and cultural barriers that exclude people with disabilities so that they can integrate with the rest of society. We've certainly discussed accessibility and universal design a lot on this podcast before, but Luis brings a new perspective on the issues from Mexico, and our conversation goes beyond the technical, physical, architectural boundaries and really steps into that cultural aspect. Luis really sees accessibility holistically, and we cover a range of topics from website design to sensitivity training. I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's my pleasure, Kelly. Thank you for inviting me and having me. No problem. And I gave uh, folks a little bit of an intro in the background kind of in, in at first, but um, we obviously had a long introduction conversation a couple of weeks ago, um, and there's a lot of work that you cover, so so we have some ground to, to cover today. But maybe just to get our audience back into thinking about accessible design and universal design, can you just give, uh, and, and of course, your perspective from, from Mexico there, um, can you give us a little bit of a, a definition for you of what accessibility is, uh, what universal design is, and kind of maybe where they overlap and where they differ? Sure. Well, for me, what accessibility means is when not only a place, but also things that we use are completely comfortable and usable by everyone, not only people that live with a disability. And by this, I mean going into any place. There are no steps. The doors are wide. uh, Bathrooms. But also the heights of the shelves or the heights of the lights and different things that we use day by day have to be comfortable for everyone. And when I mean everyone... Like I said before, I also mean kids or maybe someone that doesn't have an arm so he can't use his hands or maybe also people that have limited movement because they broke a leg so they're using crutches or they're using some other device to get by. All of these people are also benefited with the accessibility And when we speak about universal design, it's when we're going to design something since the beginning that has to be thought for everyone. So when you make it, you're already sure that everyone is going to be able to use it. That way, in the future, you don't have to bring someone in to make the place or the product accessible for everyone. Right, it's set up for success long term. Mm-hmm. When it's great, but when you think about it since the beginning, it's much much easier. Right, great, and I heard you um, a little bit kind of refer to both 
you know, someone who's living with a disability that might be permanent or maybe something that is uh, temporary as well. There's lots of different types of um, ways that individuals might be interacting in a temporary way or permanent way with their environment. That's right. But also this benefits people that come from a different country. Like, for example, if you're visiting Mexico City and all of the signaling in my office is in letters and in Spanish letters, probably you won't understand everything that it says. So you're going to have to be asking people, where is the bathroom or where is the mess hall? But if that's signaling, instead of being using words, we use drawings or icons that can be understood by everyone. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I, um, we talked a little bit about this, that your, um, your website, you had to explain a lot to me, uh, since a lot of it is in Spanish, obviously. Um, jumping kind of into your, uh, your website, actually, since you, you brought it up. Um, and we, we see in the U.S. some more requirements now around website design for uh, ac- accessible web- website design. And I know you have some uh, experience or, or Toto Accessible has some experience with that. Can you describe a little bit what accessible website design might look like or um, what, what that's intended to do? Sure. One thing that we must keep in mind is that when we're making something accessible, a place, a website, or whatever it is, we don't need to market all over the place. No, you don't have to have the blue ramps. You don't have to change the design that you already have there. So when we're doing a website, it's not that I'm going to change the pictures or I'm going to change the way your website works. We might do different contrasts with colors in order to make the colors look more different from one another. Like instead of using dark gray and um, light gray, we might use white with dark gray. But it doesn't change that much, just so people can understand the image. And what we do is, on the part that we users don't see with all the programming, is in order to make it accessible so you can move through the website without using your mouse pad. So you can do it with your keypad or with voice. That way, not only a person with a visual disability can use it, but anyone. So maybe someone that has Parkinson's that can't use a mouse to travel around the website it must be right. much easier for them to use just the keypad. Right, absolutely. So it's not only something that we're making for someone that cannot see, but again, for everyone. Great. And the page, the design of the page is exactly the same as the one you have right now. That is something we don't change. Great, but just allows everyone to use it in the way that is in the way that they're able to. That's right. And um, you know, Peter Stratton, who who you know obviously from Stephen Winter, had talked a little bit about um, kind of folks cracking down on accessible website design as as it relates to, like you said, kind of 
a website might be the access point to a different uh, location or to a building. It's how you might make reservations for uh, for a spot for dinner. It might be through a website. Um, and how can uh, and and so there are regulations around how those websites need to be accessible. Is is does the same thing happen in Mexico? Is um, yeah. Well, now web accessibility is something required by law. Mm-hmm. But the problem that I see here in Mexico City with that is, on one hand, there is no one that is in charge of executing, per se, that law, you know, that is checking gotcha. which website complies or which one doesn't. And on the other hand is the owner of the website, they think that because you're going to make it accessible, it's going to be expensive. And you're going to waste a lot of money on it. And that is something that is not true. Accessibility doesn't cost more. Especially here in Mexico City. Because everything, every dime you invest in accessibility, you can deduct it 100% off tax. So it's it's not even something you have to consider as an expense. But as an investment. And like I said, by, by making that page accessible, everyone is going to be able to use it, not just some people, no? Right. You, you have a bigger audience, a wider audience for whatever you're trying to show. That's right. That's great. Um, you mentioned it's more about uh, the, the, you know, just because something is the law doesn't mean it's being enforced, which I definitely see a lot and I talk about a lot. You know, the the bare minimum requirement isn't necessarily whatever the law says. It's it's however that law actually gets enforced on kind of a day-to-day basis. That's right. And that's why also we measure the usability that accessibility has. Like, for example, here in Mexico City, the law tells you that you can put up a ramp with a slope of 10% degree inclination. I am a wheelchair user, and there is no way I'm going to go up that ramp. And if I'm going down, I'm going to need some teeth protection because I must leave my teeth half the ramp down (laughs) because they're too steep. So that is something that is going to cost you money. It is cleared by the law. But it's not something usable for everyone. Right. But what if instead of making that ramp with a 10% degree inclination, we give it a 6% or we give it a 4 It's going to be much, much comfortable for everyone to use it. Because now not only me is going to be able to use it, but maybe you are walking on the street. You're going to much rather go through up a ramp than through stairs. Or if you're a mother and you're going out with your kid on a stroller, that is going to be much, much easier for you to use than with the other degree of inclination. Yeah, there's this difference between kind of the bare minimum code requirement and what actually is accessible for for individuals. And they're not necessarily the same thing. So kind of just a a cautionary tale in some ways of just because you're designing to all the requirements of the code doesn't mean you're necessarily um, providing access to your space. That's right. 
And you have actually worked on a standard to push designers to think about going above and beyond. There is a standard kind of like lead with various levels of performance. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. When we're going to make an assessment, the first thing we make sure of is that you comply with what the law states here in Mexico City. And for that, we have something called distintivo A. That is just a plaque that stands out and says this place is accessible. But when you go beyond the Mexican standard, we have two other degrees. We have one that is the gold level. That is when you are a little bit further than what the law states. Maybe you have accessible playgrounds. So you're a restaurant that you're accessible. If you have an accessible playground for my boy, you're going to get another point. So now you're not on the basic level. You can achieve the gold one. But then if you hire someone with a disability to work in your restaurant, you get another point so you can achieve the highest one. That way, what we look for is that you're not only accessible to receive people with a disability, but that you're also hiring one. And like I said before, we have different um, benefits in Mexico. And there's another one for the companies that hire people with a disability. Oh, wow, that's great. And I um, there's a lot of parallel because we had an episode with the um, commissioner for the mayor's office for people with disabilities in New York City. And he was uh, talking a lot about a workforce integration program um, for people with disabilities. So definitely was on the top of his mind as far as um, access and, you know, access to, to spaces, access to websites, access to jobs. So really thinking about accessibility in a, in a holistic way. Yeah, and, and that's how we must think. Because if I want to take you out for lunch, well, I need money. How am I going to earn money if I can't get a job? So it's right. wonderful that there is a restaurant where we can go have lunch. But I don't have a job, so... With this kind of thinking, we're making sure that we are back in the society, in every part of the society. You know, I can go work, we can go out, I can go to a movie theater, I can travel, I can go to a museum, we can go to the same places. Yeah, that's a great point. And speaking of that, actually, it reminds me of, you had mentioned um, to me in the past about a... Um, I think you were talking about an app where you could see um, how to get to spaces that were maybe finding the accessible bathroom in a, a large park or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Sorry if I'm misremembering. No, no, that's correct. We have a website here in Mexico that is called Lugares Accesibles. That it's basically translated accessible places. And we used to put up here places where that had some sort of accessible um, standard. No, maybe the entrance, maybe the bathroom. And accessible for who? Maybe it's not accessible for someone in a wheelchair, but it is accessible for someone that can't see. And we started um, 
integrating all these things into the website. And we launched an app at the end of last year. So now you can download the app, you can register there, and you can help us putting up places, but also analyzing and suggesting places that have different sorts of accessible. That way, people that need accessibility can know what kind of um, accessible that place has. So if we're going to go to a restaurant, we can look up there for the restaurant. Oh, it is here. And it has an accessible bathroom. There's no stairs. And they have valet parking or they have a big parking space. So now I know we can go there and no problem. That's awesome. So that's cr like crowdsourced uh, information. It's like... Uh the, I don't know if they have this app there too, but Waze, basically, it, it'll tell you if there's, <laughs> you can add information as a, as a person using the software to say there's a police car up, up ahead. <laughs> but this would be using this, this app to say, uh, you know, to tell basically this community of people that have bought into it. This bathroom is accessible, I, I found at for, for people using a wheelchair um, at this stadium or this restaurant or something like that so that it's basically gets gets better the more people that plug into it that's right and that way more people know of places that we can go and visit the first places that you're going to see are the ones that we've uh, assessed the ones that have the distintivo a. and then there might be lots of other places that we haven't assessed but other people with a different kind of disability are rec have recommended because they visited the place. So we put it up That's and great. you can also suggest or comment. You know, I went to this place. Like it happened one time. There was a restaurant in a very nice zone here in Mexico City that I like going there for my meetings and to eat. And they had a very nice ramp on the entrance. So I made a reservation there and I went to a meeting and when I got there, there was no more ramp. Oh no. They decided to make the terrace bigger. So they used that space. But now I can't go in. Oh wow. So through the app, we can also comment. This place is no longer accessible because they took out the ramp. So now we know that it is not accessible, so we can take it out of the app as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Or talk to the client and tell them, you know, you're missing a big population by getting rid of the ramp. Right. If you don't have space for a ramp, there are other alternatives you can use. So people that can't walk can go in the restaurant like they did before. Yeah, and that's interesting. I hadn't thought about people going the opposite direction <laughs> to make it less accessible. Um, we, we typically think about people making things more accessible over time. But once you once the building has that, you know, that rating, that standard that you talked about, you have to maintain it by making sure that you keep your space accessible. That's right. We evaluate you each year. This distinctive was only valid for a year. Oh, okay. That's great. So if you want to renew it, we go and visit again because we also found out that there were 
places that were accessible, and they had this huge bathroom for us. But because they didn't hire anyone with a disability, then they would use that bathroom for storage. So what's the use? No, that is not a storage room. That is a bathroom. So use it as it is. Right. So that's why we have to continue year by year talking to our clients and saying, okay, would you like to renew it? We go, we make it just a quick visit and that's it, no? Right. One of our accessibility consultants was talking about the other day, um, when you look at accessibility, you can't just look at the architectural plans. You have to also look at the furniture layouts because sometimes in, in especially hotel spaces, they would have all this space where you can uh, maneuver within a wheelchair as intended, but then they would, they would put in some sort of uh, toilet paper rack or some sort of thing afterwards that was a piece of furniture that would then block the ability of, um, of someone to actually use the space effectively. So it's important to think about it holistically, not just from the architectural design itself. That is something very important that you just mentioned. All the furniture has to also be accessible. Talking about hotels, we've also seen that sometimes the beds are way too high. So I can't jump in the bed because it's way too high. No, and when I'm getting off, well, the good thing is I'm going down and I can manage jumping back in my chair. But while going up in the bed, it, it's, sometimes it's difficult. Or with the closet, we only, you open it up and the only place you can hang your clothes is on the high part. Mm. So there's nothing below that I can hang my clothes in. Or uh, another thing, tables. There are some tables that have the legs in the middle that don't allow a guy with a wheelchair to put his legs underneath the table because the leg of the table hits the chair. Right. So I've sometimes had to ask in the restaurant for the waiter to lend me the tray. I put the tray on my legs and that's where I eat because I can't get in and use the table or utensils i found that here in some restaurants i don't know if it's politics or they think that very nice forks and spoons are necessary but they're also heavy Mm. and for me that i can't use my hands when i put one of the uh, those spoons between my fingers and I put soup on it, it's very hard for me to be able to bring the soup up to my mouth without dropping it because it's really heavy. And those are things people have no idea because they don't need it. Right. That's one of the important things of using and accessibility uh, consultants that know all these things because if you don't need it, you don't notice it. But until someone that does tells you, then you realize, and it's not more expensive to buy a table that instead of having a leg in the middle, has legs on the side. Or instead of buying one spoon, you buy another one that's not as heavy, no? Right. Maybe it's cheaper to buy the lighter spoon even. Maybe. That's right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Those are absolutely good points. And you kind of bring me to another one of your... um, 
the consulting things you mentioned that I think is really interesting that I think is really related to all of this, right? So when we don't, a lot of bias, I would say, plays in when you're not exposed to something or you don't understand something. And you've talked a little bit uh, with me about sensitivity training. Can you tell um, tell our audience a little bit more about what does sensitivity training mean and um, how do you go about teaching people how to kind of work more effectively with others? Not sure. We found out that there were some times that talking about a restaurant, the restaurant is completely accessible. But I went there with one of my friends and he's blind and he has a guide dog. And when we go in, they tell him your dog can go. Well, by telling a blind person that his dog can go into a place with him, it's like telling me I have to leave my wheelchair on the entrance. No, it's completely ridiculous because it is not a dog. It is uh, an animal that gives support to them. Right. So we found out that it is very important to teach the people what it really is. So that's why we do this workshops and are implemented by people that live with each type of disability. So they tell you how you can support a blind person. Do you grab his arm? Does he grab you? Or if he's deaf, well, not because he's deaf means he's not going to understand you. Maybe he reads lips or maybe you can point him to different things. So we show you how to interact with someone that can't hear. And how when he answers you, you're going to be able to understand what he's saying. Or what happens if a person comes in with a wheelchair. I've had some different experiences that they want to help me. So I let them guide me and they're pushing me. And then suddenly they see someone and they want to say hi or something. And they let go of the chair and there I go, no? <laughs> then that's something you cannot do because if you have no control in your arms, well, you're going to hit someone or you're going to fall or I don't know what can happen, no? So that is what right. we show them. When you're helping someone with a disability, your focus is on the person with a disability. Or another thing in the yeah. restaurants here, you know, they, they, they want to give you beautiful plates. So they maybe they put a toothpick on your meat to hold it close. But when you're eating it, you don't realize that there's a toothpick in there that was holding your meat. So you can hurt yourself. So we also tell them what it is that you put or do not put on a plate. Or how do you tell a blind person what he has in front of him? Mm. Using the clock hands, like your coffee is at 12 o'clock. Your fork is at your 10. You have your syrup at um, 2 o'clock. So they can imagine what the table looks like and know where anything is and can move freely without thinking they're going to drop something or break something, no? Great. So we show them all these things in these workshops 
So now the next time they see someone with a disability, not only attending the restaurant, but maybe on the streets or on a different place, they feel confident walking up and say, hi, can I help you or what it is I can do for you. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think some of it is just that fear of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or not really knowing how to interact with people that you um, you know, maybe you have just don't have experience and you're, you sort of get nervous. So you, um, and I noticed a lot of your stories have a little bit of, uh, a little bit of a sense of humor in them. Um, and I think that is a good way of bringing down people's guard a little bit and getting them, uh, kind of listening to, to what you're talking about, the heart of what you're talking about. That is correct. We've, no- I've noticed that people don't do that because they want to, they do it because they don't really know how to help you. But when you show them, you can even see a big smile on their face that now they know how to help someone with a disability. When I'm going to jump out of the car, I can't do it by myself. So the guy that helps me is the one that puts me in a chair. But sometimes to make it faster, we look for help. And I've noticed that some people, when they see that he's bringing out the wheelchair and we're starting to see how it is that he's going to make uh, help me get in my chair. Sometimes they even cross the street. So that's the guy I call. Hey, you, please come over and I'll give me a hand. And they come. Sometimes they don't even talk to me. They talk to my assistant. No, they look at me like, oh, he can talk, okay. But once they help me and once they see it's not so different and it's not so difficult, we get along perfect with them. That's great. Even in your daily interactions, you take it upon yourself to to make sure to help people be their best self, really. What an excellent way to say it, Kelly. <laughs> well, I we covered a lot of uh, different topics here. And I'm curious, what do you want people to kind of take away from this conversation? What's most important to you that people take away from this conversation? Disability is not a disease and disability is not contagious. So you can walk up to someone and be completely fresh like you're with everyone else. And if you're going to build something or if you're going to invest in something, be sure to make it accessible. It's not going to cost you more money. It's going to be much more Um, well taken by everyone and the amount of people you're going to be able to receive is going to be much much wider because a person with a disability spends almost 80% more than the rest of the population why? because I never go out by myself so if I'm going to go eat in a restaurant I'm going to go with my assistant the guy that helps me if I'm going to travel if I'm going to go visit you in the States Well, I pay for two plane tickets, two hotel rooms. So it's a population that you can consider. And when you're making this kind of places with universal design, it looks wonderful and it's usable by everyone. So just to leave you with the question, instead of saying, why not? Why involve is why not involve? 
people with a disability because it's full of benefits from where any point you want to see it. Those are great points. And our, um, our final question that we like to ask people is, when we have you back on the podcast in five years, uh, what do you think we'll be talking about then? I would love to say that we would be talking of how universal design changed the way people live. Not only the way people think, how now everyone and everything is included for everyone. All right. That's a tall order for the world for the next five years, but I like it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking with me today. No, on the contrary, Kelly, thank you so much for inviting me and having me over. I enjoyed it hugely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Buildings and Beyond today. To learn more about universal and accessible design, check out our show notes at swinter.com slash podcasts, S-W-I-N-T-E-R dot com slash podcasts. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We believe the world is not as sustainable, healthy, safe, equitable, or inclusive as it needs to be, and we continually strive to develop and implement innovative solutions to improve the built environment. Our production team includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirabile, Heather Breslin, and my co-host Rob Aldridge, and me, Kelly Westby. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.